0: My name is Dool de and this is the Recruiter Startup School. In this podcast series, we will be interviewing industry experts, founders and investors from the agency recruitment world. We will be bringing you the inside track into how to set up, operate, scale and sell your recruitment business. Today's guest is Reese Jones, who is the founder of Davidson Gray, Reese is an investor and advisor to agency recruitment firms in the UK, and he's been in our industry for over 20 years now. It was great to find out more about his own personal journey and why he loves working with ambitious recruiters looking to start up their own recruitment companies. In this wide-ranging interview, he let me pick his brain on what he looks for in these partners and how he helps them operate, scale, value and sell their recruitment businesses. Hello, hello, Re- hello, Rhys. how are you? I'm the best. I'm the best. How are you today?
1: Fabulous, thank you. Fabulous.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Recruiter Startup Show. And really keen to hear a bit more about yourself, your business, and your experience to date. I've given everybody a brief intro into you, but maybe you could just give us a, a quick summary.
1: Uh, well, I started in recruitment in nineteen ninety four as an independent recruiter and um quickly became the biggest biller in the company, billing two hundred thousand. Um that's back in nineteen ninety four. That's no LinkedIn, no database, no job boards. Um and I was the only person that sold search within the company. So quickly I realized I had to do it for myself. So I up a company two thousand Elliot Marsh, went really well, got up to about four hundred thousand pound profit three or four years later. So at that point, I decided we need to do something different because I had a business partner at the time. We went to Cranfield Business School, studied there, and as a result of that, we then split up Elliot Marsh into two companies to form a new company, Executive Headhunters, and that was to do executive search. We found a a gap in the market for digital marketing, and that's where executives were going to fit in. So we split in 2005. It's about this time I also started looking at maybe being a bit more entrepreneurial, probably as a result of the course. Um, I spotted a young lady who was an excellent rector to and helped her set up Spencer Hunt, which is now...
0: We're not allowed to talk about any other rector to on this show. Oh, right,
1: OK, well, we won't talk
0: about that. <laughs> I'm only talking carry on.
1: OK. Um, so, yeah, anyway, 2030 I started playing with the Davidson Gray concept because by that point, I'd sort of been there, got the 2 show, built Elliot Marsh, to the level I wanted to, and I started to get, quite frankly, a bit bored. So I was looking at that, and I think as part of the boredom, we took the business to sale in 2014. Um, went through all the the rigmarole that's involved in selling a business, which is really, really hard work with a massive education. And then 2015, my to of the business. And uh, since then, all I've been doing is working with startup recruiters, done a bit of non-exact work, but mostly it's with uh, recruiters wanting to set up their own business.
0: Fantastic. We've just we've just fit in how many years of experience into an introduction there. Um, there's lots of points there that I want to explore further. And I suppose just to just to begin, maybe maybe you could like walk us through whenever a, a recruiter is at an agency and they're approaching you to set up their own recruitment firm or somebody or, or just somebody in the industry in general. What's the criteria that uh, that you make them you make them go through in order to get accepted into working with you?
1: Well, well, I'm a bit unusual the way that I work because I do this now more for satisfaction than for cash. So for me, it's crucial to get on with the people. I've got to like them. I've got to enjoy working with them because I don't work with a, a large number of people. So we've got to get on. It's a business relationship. I'm not saying we're going to go out for beers together or go out for dinner, etc. But we've got to get on, which is the big thing because there are, too, far, a few idiots in the recruitment industry. We all know that. Um, so I try and avoid those at the the Um but I've also got to believe in their vision because if they want to be a lifestyle recruiter that's not for me because I can't really add much value as a lifestyle recruiter if you want to build from home and I don't really get any satisfaction from that mm-hmm. so I've got to believe that they have a vision to grow the business and how they want to grow it and agree with the ideology of what that is but also what's critical to me is I need to see that they see value in me because if they don't see value in me they're not going to access that value I won't feel as though contributing, which means I'm not going to enjoy it as much. And also it could result to a situation further down the line where they feel why they've already so don't need him. But I think more importantly, is the only one work with people who want to get better because there's there's a lot of people in recruitment that, that are full of their own self-importance and ego. And that's natural because recruiters do have uh, large egos, that they have lots of confidence and that, that's part of the trade. But... If you, if you haven't got the desire to learn and get better, then you will struggle to set up your own business because it is a new job and mm. you've got to, really to do that job. And if you, if, if you think you can wing it, you think you can do it yourself, then you're going to struggle. So I need to see that they think, yeah, Reese has, has got a lot of experience. He can add a lot to the business. I don't want to access that. I don't want to use that. And that alongside, I think, in the person sharing the vision, that, those are the things I look for the most.
0: And and if we go into the, the exact details of, of what you see a good recruitment, a business and one that can be built to sell is that a template business is it a perm business and um, is there a certain number that you want them to grow to um, can you can you can you walk us through through those details
1: yeah well I do get a lot of people that, that come to me that want to grow a business to sell the first question is why because if you're going to sell a business if it's a perm business you might get three to four times profit uh, contract maybe eight times but then sometimes if you don't exit properly you'll need an earn out so you might be in there for two or three years mm-hmm. so if you're in there for two or three years and you get three to four times profit you've got to wonder what's the point and if you build the business correctly and you, and you do a succession plan it should be left as an autonomous business unit that's producing cash without you needing to be there so surely that's better value for you than selling it yeah that's so that... the question at first I mean if someone wants to sell it as an eye business so you know that that's that's fine but it's, it, I always ask that question, for, as, as goes for what sort of business, you know, with it's per, whether it's... Uh, it, a lot of it depends on the seller, i sorry, rather the buyer, as to what the person is looking for, because selling a business is not quite as easy as some people think. Hmm. If, for example, it's a very niche business, you could get a good profit on it if you want somebody who wants that niche and maybe to add it onto the existing business because they've struggled getting into that market. And, but then again, if it's niche, you might struggle to find a buyer Because it depends how you sell the business, because you can get approached out of the blue. But if you go to a corporate financier to market business, it's a little bit like a fishing expedition, because sometimes you can get lots of buyers. Sometimes you don't. So it's it's about timing. It's about finding the right buyer. And I think it's about finding the right corporate financier because there's good ones and there's bad ones.
0: Mm, Okay, that's interesting. Um, So lots of lots of startups. In the recruitment industry, don't make it. I'm not sure on the stats, but people I've seen in my own industry, people are coming and going all the time who set up by themselves. Why do you think? What are the pitfalls? Why do you think people, so many recruiters, fail when starting up? Um,
1: it has a number of reasons. Overconfidence. It could be one where a recruiter jumps in and just thinks it's easy and they get used to the lifestyle and start spending the money, and then a few bad months, they haven't planned for the VAT bill, that turns up, and quickly that, that leads to a sticky end. Um, it could be boredom. You know, if they're working from home they get so used to it, they get a bit lonely, that could be the situation. It could be they overextend themselves, they try to hire staff too quickly. Um, I, think, I think one of the biggest ones is not planning for the VAT, not planning for the tax, because that can really catch you out because those bills can be quite big. And if you don't plan for those, um, but I think it's the other added factor is if, is if you maybe have a bit too much confidence and you're trying to do it on your own, because mm. there is a lot of expertise out there. And if you can find a mentor and a coach, it will help dramatically.
0: How, how does a recruiter go about finding a mentor and a coach? Uh, what's, what does that process look like? Uh, I'm, I'm completely unfamiliar with it.
1: It's an excellent question and I don't know the answer, to be honest. Okay. Um, I think it's a case of the recruits are looking for somebody they respect that they can confide in that will give them help. It doesn't have to be somebody who is doing it for a living. It could be somebody that owns their own recruitment company. It may not necessarily be a recruitment person.
0: Mm.
1: I think it's preferable, but if you've got somebody who's a very good entrepreneur, they could give you the parts that you're missing. Um, There are business coaches out there. There are mentors out there. There's some good ones and some bad ones. Um, But it also depends what you want. Do you want a business partner? Do you want a coach you can ring up whenever you want? Do you want somebody who's going to chair your board? It depends what you're looking for. Because back down to sort of, I think 2004, 2005, we were looking for a non-exec because we felt that we needed to add value to our business. And quite frankly, we struggled. I couldn't find anybody. Went to Cranfield University and our first non-exec, our first mentor and coach, was our tutor at Cranfield. So we took him on. Worked with him for a while. Then we found a recruitment specialist, and he came on board for a while. But I'll be honest with you, it's not necessarily that easy for somebody who's who's, who's just setting up. Um, it's it takes a bit of head scratching because the problem is if you set up on your own, clearly it's confidential, so you can't ask around too much without for fear of being found out. Mm. Once you've set up, I think it is just using your network.
0: Yeah. When when I bring myself back to when we launched this, uh, I, I wish I knew. No, I'm wishing you then what I what I know what I what I know now I probably wouldn't have went down a lot of the same avenues. Um is is there any type of uh, guidance or process that uh, that that you bring new people on into your into your
1: fold with? So when you say process, what do you mean?
0: Well, what do you uh, if if somebody's brand new, you you've decided you said okay, like we're going to take you on they've given you a vision might not be exactly bulletproof. Is there, is there a a three month plan, a six month plan that you work with them to achieve goals and, and, and work through that? Or how does, how does it work for people? Uh,
1: work well, it's fairly fluid depending on the recruiter because what I don't like to do is give them a blueprint of my businesses because then it's their business. It's yeah. so fluid with them. Also, their needs are different. Some people like a lot of attention. Some people don't like a lot of attention. Some people like help in certain areas, not other areas. Some want you to take overall responsibility. It, it really depends on the recruiter. So I, I'm fluid dependent on them. But in general, you look initially, it's, it's setting up an excellent footprint the growth of the business so that will involve a very good digital marketing plan a very good website an mm. excellent database you get your cash flow plan set out you get you get all the infrastructure, infrastructure set up so that's where i get involved i i okay. sort of build um a plug and play for what I'm better description business yeah. for them but it is bespoke to them so the website is designed around their their wants their colors their pictures their market the, the company name is theirs everything designed around them Mm-hmm. infrastructure is something that I put together and the question I, get, I quite often get asked is how quickly you can do it Yeah, I can do it within a few weeks or a month Really, However, it can be done but what I always say is, is if, if you can allow three months it means it'll be done well so yeah. the website will be just as you want it the database will be right, all the infrastructure will be set up the the, the emails etc everything will be ready to go so when you do go live you're just simply going to smash the phones so everything's set up. But if you try and rush it and do it as you go along, you're just making life a little bit harder in a time when it will be stressful and you've mm. got to accept that. So what you want to do is remove as much stress as you possibly can. Because I've been there and I know how stressful it is. And yeah. as you said, um, if you look back now, you're doing it differently. If I had, say for example, my help now, I'd have made twice as much money, twice as fast with a fraction of the stress. Yeah. Because I'd have somebody to show me what to do and I wouldn't have made mistakes. And I did and try and learn on the job.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it would have made my life a lot easier to be honest but
1: uh but yeah we got we
0: got through it um what does success look for you look to you when when you're when you take people on and they, they've done their what is your like they're they're an independent recruiter they're looking to they're looking to scale what type of numbers does a, a business need to achieve when uh when they've got somebody investing in them
1: well, when I say to somebody, it depends on other people, what, what they want. If, you, if you're looking for cash injection and people take 50, 70 percent or whatever they take, then that, that's a different area to me. What I work with is as long as I believe in the person, it's, the success is, is to a degree dictated by them. I don't support lifestyle business, as I've mentioned. Sure. But if somebody wants a boutique business for three or four staff, that's fine because mm-hmm. you can be the best recruiter in that sector have a great branding, all you guys and girls are tied in, and that's a great business. So that to me is a success in the same way that, for example, Taylor Higgs went from one member of staff within 18 months over mm. a million pounds. That's a great, and that's perma fees, not contract fees. That's a success. It's as much the success as the person wants it to be. But for me, I think the real definition of success is the business is an entity on its own. It's not reliant on the founder. Because if it's reliant on the founder and all the billions really come from that person smashing the phone, to me, it's not really a business.
0: Yeah, they're a, high, they're a highly paid uh, freelancer then, aren't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I look to help them build a business such that it is a self-generating cash entity, not just with the staff, but also the infrastructure and the branding. Mm-hmm. So clients come to them, candidates come to them. It's an easier place to make money. And if they do want to reduce their hours or potentially exit, it's not necessarily that difficult because it is actually generating cash itself. A business isn't a business if it's reliant on the owner. Mm.
0: No, I, I, I understand. Um, can, can we talk more about the, uh, when a business has been brought to exit, what, what type of numbers does, uh, do you need to uh, achieve to, 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 get to the the right multiples? And how, how does that look?
1: Again, that's a difficult question to answer because it depends on if, – if, for example, it's an approach out of the blue, then the numbers yeah. are a bit different. Uh, if you take it to market, then you probably look at it, it's going to be a minimum of uh, half an in independent EBITDA, which is uh, the way that businesses are calculated in value. So the EBITDA is earning for interest and tax. And it's a multiple of that is what you generally get. That's how, that's how people propose a value for your business. So with a perm with a, a business, it might be three, four, five times. With mm-hmm. a contract business, I don't know, eight times, 12 times. It depends on the market, but it also depends a lot on how well the business is built. Because I learned that through taking my business to sell, yeah. what the buyers want to see in the business. And predominantly, it, it's, they want to buy something that's going to fall apart. Sure. So it's not relying just on the staff. The staff walk out the door, will the business still be there?
0: And so, what would the step-by-step process be in terms of the, the checks that they're doing on your business in order to get to that valuation? Um,
1: well, most, most corporate financiers will be able to give you a back-of-fact-packet a valuation because you tell them what your earnings were the previous year, your profit was. They'll do a, a, a brief overview of your business. From that, they can say, you're going to get three times, four times, yeah. five, six times, whatever. But that's when the hard work, it's really hard work to the point where it's so stressful. I wouldn't necessarily advise people go through with it because even building your information memorandum, which is the brochure that the corporate financial will take to market, they're crawling through all your invoices. They're crawling through uh, the way the business is set up. The questions are endless. This is so that you're prepared for the sale because when you're being interviewed by somebody, if they're looking to spend one, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty million, they're gonna really put you through the, the mill to find exactly what the, what they're buying. They're not gonna go from work. So it takes it probably took about six months, I think, to get the information memorandum together. Which wow. and it was horrible and it took you away <laughs> from the business. But what it did do, it gave you a great education about the things that your business has that are good, but also a lot of holes you didn't realise were there. Mm which again has helped me because what I do now, and I help the guys and girls build their businesses in a way such that if somebody came along to buy it, it would be worth more because you build the business in a way such that it has those components in it. So it's more valuable because that helps you discipline because the, the components a buyer looks for are good for your business. For example, having very good branding, have an excellent database, a contract book, those sort of things. Hmm. These are the things they look for because they add value to your business. So have them in any way.
0: And what's the minimum number that a business needs to achieve on its EBITDA to even consider being sold?
1: I would say half a million.
0: Half a million, uh,
1: okay. To, to, get a, to get a reasonable multiple, mm. um, I would say half a million.
0: And how many how many billers would be looked upon well to achieve half a mil- million?
1: Um, I mean, that depends on how the business is run, what percentage profit you're running at. Okay. Uh, and how much is relying on the business owner but i'd say you probably need a business for the critical mass you probably need a business of upwards of 10 okay because the, again the the, the, the buyer is going to look at it and say that's a business that isn't going to fall apart if you've only got four or five people then if two walk out the door that makes a massive difference
0: mm. no that uh that that'll make sense um
1: if you were to take
0: somebody in from day one, and you were, you, what, what, would be, what would be the first thing you would get them to do with their business?
1: Well, the, the planning starts before they go. So, you know, we talk about what's your branding going to be, what's your target market going to be, what's your client attraction going to be, what's your candidate attraction going to be. So we look at how they're actually going to work in the first year. Because the first year, the most important thing is money. It's billing and it's collecting cash and getting that offer, and that's the most important thing. So, as a business builder, I want to put in place a situation that it's as easy as possible for them to make that money. So, much of the distraction from hitting the phones and pressing flesh are taken away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But also, what can we add to that to ramp the brand up very quickly? And what can we do for digital marketing to ensure that they are getting? free business. So when I say free business, it's not business that they've, they've got through using LinkedIn or the phone or pressing flesh. This is business that's come through proactive digital marketing and reactive marketing. Mm-hmm. So we put that in place as well. So it, it, it depends to a certain degree on the markets. It also depends to a degree on the person's designs because as I said before, the business is built their way, not necessarily my way. But it's a lot of planning to make sure that your sales forecast is rigid and that in every likelihood you will hit that and, and we'll look at the worst case scenario if you won't and how we're going to do it. So there's, there's quite a bit of, um, of understanding how are you are going to make money rather than just I make 200 grand where I am now, I'm going to get a phone, move somewhere else and I'll get 200 grand there.
0: Yeah, there's, there's so much information to take in in this conversation. Um, can I bring you back to what you look for in in the individual? I know you said you need to get on with them and you need to like what their, what their vision is. What what would you say the personal characteristics you look for within that as well as well are?
1: Um, I think going back to somebody who has the desire to improve. I am a businessman already, or I'm, I don't really need much help. Business, I thought I know everything now. That's it. I'm 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 sorted. But then a year later, I thought, God, so much more now than I did twelve months ago. Mm-hmm. I did this for two or three years before I realised that it'll always be that way. And I learned so much more this year than I did last year. And and that's the way this person has to be. They've got to have a desire to learn to to improve. Clearly, they've got to be ambitious. They've got to have a certain amount of confidence. Uh, <laughs> Um, and that—it's that, probably. I mean, you—you've you, got to do. A, example to come from a large organisation, and they do two hundred thousand a year. I'll get them to, to look at the previous year's buildings and say, okay, where did your candidates come from? Where did your clients come from? And that'll that'll show quite quickly whether they rely for example, on the database, whether they're reliant mm. on PSLs You know, where the money actually comes from, and how much of that is going to be repeatable. Because mm. if they're not going to make money in the first they're never going to get anywhere. But yeah, I, I'm saying it's, 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 it's the ambition, the strength of character, and the openness to learn. And, and I think a certain amount of humility. You know, every recruiter has a big personality, otherwise it won't be in recruitment. You've got to be, you've got to have a fairly big ego, but you mm. can be humble at the same time. I think if, if you are too full of yourself, you can set yourself up for, for failure by just having too much confidence
0: yeah I, I think that definitely happened to me in my in my second recruitment job, where i had I had a great run in Australia, and then I went to Canada and I took on too much and it it just didn't go my way. And I learned a lot from that process and and, uh, and yeah, it 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 ultimately led us to setting up on our own uh, those lessons learned. So with I'm kind of on to my last question now here, Reese. And, and really, it's just to figure out what do you have going on right now, and uh, and, and if somebody wants to reach out to you, and uh, who and how can they, they they reach out to you?
1: Well, currently I'm I'm, I'm just starting to launch a new business which is going to go live in two or three months, um, and I don't like to launch more than one at the same time because I like to give them hundred percent attention. We've also got Taylor Hickson, which is still flying. There's a side business there, all the point which. It's an interesting story because they recruit in the residential development market, but they've spotted a gap to brokered land deals because they deal with people selling land, they deal with people buying land. So we're starting to go into that market. We've already made our first fee, and that probably is going to be a second business, but that won't be a recruitment company. That'll be the first offshoot from a recruitment company that isn't recruitment related, or rather it is related, but it's not a recruitment business per se. So that's really exciting. Um, There's a business that I helped set up three or four months ago, and they've been billing and in profit since month one. So we're already starting about the expansion plan for them. So with the four businesses, there's quite a lot of expansion going on, which is great, but it involves a lot of my time. And what where I'm slightly different to some of the other people that do similar things to me, I don't think, I don't think anybody does necessarily the same as me, is, is I only work with a small group of people to ensure that they have as much of my time as they want. I don't push my time upon people, but I need to be there when you want me. I, will, I do suggest, and I strongly recommend monthly board meetings so you can have time to work on your business because you're in the business most of the time, certainly in startup mode. But if you don't stand back and work on your business and look at strategy and put things in place, you're going to struggle to go forward. So I, I do say as a minimum, you really need to do that. But what I will be doing is over the next three, six months is is seeing how much time I've got left because I have got a book, in the pipeline i've got the content ready i've already found one editor so that's something that i want to do uh, and that's going to take a lot of time as well however in saying that if the right person comes along that can go to one site because that's something that can happen at any time so going back to your question how do you approach me i think the best bit is, is a contact through linkedin okay and, th- and then we can have a conversation to see if what they're looking for is what i can offer
0: all right well, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I've learned loads, and I hope all our listeners uh, will, will also learn, learn lots that they need to when setting up their own recruitment business. And um, thanks for your time, and uh, and hopefully we uh, get to speak to you again.
1: No problem, does it? has Been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
0: A massive thanks to Reese for coming on and sharing his knowledge and skills. We'll even forgive him for trying to plug his wife's rec to business. One of the areas he touched upon in the interview that I'd really like to explore further is how you go about securing investment in your recruitment startup. It's a process that I've never been through. So I'm hoping to interview somebody from that world to find exactly what it takes to make that happen. If, uh, if, if you guys know anybody that I should be speaking to, please reach out and, uh, and tell me on LinkedIn. Also, if you want to come on the show and discuss your own entrepreneurial journey, feel free to reach out to me. I'm available all the time on LinkedIn. Thanks again.